If you have a Bible, would you please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Pull it up in your Bible app, 1 Timothy chapter 2. We will return to our series in Ephesians next Sunday. We've been taking a little break from Ephesians to shepherd our souls with God's Word during this contentious election time. Two weeks ago, we saw the importance of unity from Ephesians 4, a theologically defined unity in Ephesians 4. One body, one spirit, as you are called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, Ephesians 4 says. It's a theologically defined unity that we must be eager to preserve and protect. Last week, we saw our hope, our hope from Psalm 2. We said that no political party perfectly represents the kingdom of God. Not the Democrats or the Republicans or any other uh, political party. No one political party perfectly represents the kingdom of God. They're not trying to do so, and, and they don't. We locate our ultimate hope in our ruling and reigning King Jesus. We saw that from Psalm 2. Now this week, 1 Timothy 2, I will begin reading in verse 1. Please, please understand that God is now addressing us through his word. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. May God bless his word to our hearts and minds this morning. As I mentioned, prefacing my prayer Undoubtedly, some of us are happy with the results of the election, and some of us are disappointed. Some perhaps are glad. Some perhaps are grieving. Here's my question. Once the dust settles, once the initial emotions subside, how should we respond to this election? How should we respond a month from now? Or six months from now, or a year from now? How should we respond as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ? Well, thankfully, God has not left us in the dark on that matter. God clearly tells us how to respond in this passage. He says to pray. In this passage, we're told to pray for all people, but I'm going to focus in particular on the call to pray for those in governance. We're going to see that God calls us to pray for government, 
that the church may know peace and the world may know Christ. That's the main point I want to communicate. I believe that's the main point of the passage. Pray for government that the church may know peace and the world may know Christ. Let's break up that main idea into three parts, three sections. We'll walk through that one sentence in three sections. First, pray for government. That's the main command here, the main imperative. Pray for all people and pray for government in particular. First Timothy is one of the pastoral epistles, along with Second Timothy and Titus. These are letters from the Apostle Paul to his pastoral and apostolic associates. So these pastoral epistles, they provide vital instruction to the church for how we are to function. Here, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is in the city of Ephesus, and Timothy is there dealing with false teaching in that church. So the apostles spent chapter 1 dealing with false teaching and reminding Timothy of the gospel, the good news entrusted to Timothy. Now the apostle addresses how the church should live in light of that gospel. So verse 1 begins, First of all, then... First order of business for the church in light of the gospel. First of all, then pray. Which says a lot about God's priority on prayer in the church, doesn't it? And then the apostle piles on, piles up overlapping terms to help us feel this priority. I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. I want all kinds of prayer for all kinds of people. And then the top of our prayer agenda, the top of our prayer list, he puts in verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. For us, this would mean all levels of government, national, state, and local. And notice the apostle does not make any distinction between good and bad governing officials in terms of the call to prayer. No distinction is made here between just and unjust leaders. Doesn't matter to him if the official belongs to your preferred political party or not. God just says, pray, pray for them. And realize the apostle is writing this in the context of the Roman Empire around the early to mid 60s AD when the crazy emperor Nero is on the throne. Nero, who, here's a short list of things Nero did. Nero murdered his stepbrother, killed his mother, had his first wife beheaded, presented his first wife's head to his mistress as a trophy, and then married the mistress and then later killed her as well forced a woman's husband to commit suicide so he could then marry that lady and then took a liking to a boy who resembled one of his dead wives, had the boy castrated and then murdered, uh, married him rather, married him, married another man after that and then blamed the Christians for a fire in Rome that probably Nero had 
asked to be set, and then he viciously persecuted Christians for that fire, throwing them to the beasts, crucifying them, using them as human torches to light up his garden. I mean, the man on the throne at this time was plainly evil, and yet the apostle says, I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings for kings, thus including the crazy evil Emperor Nero. So, my friends, we cannot say, well, he or she is not in my preferred political party, so I'm not going to pray for them. If the apostle could urge prayer and thanksgivings even for Nero, you and I must do the same for anyone in office, regardless of whether or not you agree with their policies and politics. So regardless of how you feel about the current presidential election results, the response God commands is pray. Pray. Now, let's just draw a couple implications from this. Let's think about this a little bit theologically. This command means God is ultimately sovereign over human government. Proverbs 21, verse 1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The, the king, the most powerful man in the land, his heart is like a, a, a trickle of water, a, a stream of water that God easily turns as he wills. My, my favorite illustration of this in the Bible is 2 Kings 19. When King Sennacherib, king of the superpower of the day, Assyria, is threatening ancient Israel. So Hezekiah of Judah goes to the prophet Isaiah in total freakout mode, understandably. And God says through Isaiah these amazing words about King Sennacherib of the mighty Assyrian Empire. God says, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back by which the way you came. I will put my hook in your nose, God says, and I will turn you back, Sennacherib. You know, if you have a hook in your nose, you're going to turn any which way that hook goes. That's the kind of sovereignty God says he exercised over the most powerful man on the planet in that day and in our day. Now, as we said last week, we do not live in a theocracy like ancient Israel. We live in a democracy, not a theocracy. So very different governmental situation, but the same God. Same God who sovereignly rules. Same God who sovereignly rules over a coming Biden administration. Same God who sovereignly rules over the makeup of the U.S. Senate and House of Representatives. Same God who sovereignly rules over the governor of California and the mayor of La Mesa and on and on and on. Friends, do you believe God is sovereign like that? That he rules over all like that? I hope you do. This is the biblical God. So let us pray.
Here's one other implication of this command. This command also means that God intends to answer our prayers for human government. It is God commanding us to pray to God for government. An implication is God intends to answer our prayers in some form or fashion for human government. Now, people often ask, if God is absolutely sovereign, why then pray? Well, here's an answer. Because prayer is a means God has ordained to accomplish his will. God has ordained that prayer be one way he accomplishes his sovereign will. God is the primary cause, but he typically works, often works, through secondary causes, through means. Prayer is one of those secondary causes, one of those means. Philip Riken, now president of Wheaton College, he tells of when he was an intern with a church in Scotland. It was 1992, and he writes the following. It was typical, typical for a member of that church to thank God for the way he had brought down the Iron Curtain of Communism in Eastern Europe. From the way that they prayed, it was clear that they believed that their prayers had something to do with the collapse of the Soviet Empire. He says, I was tempted to pull one of them aside and say, you know, it was a little more complicated than that. The global economy had something to do with it, not to mention the arms race and the spiritual bankruptcy of communism. It took more than your prayers to pull down the Berlin Wall. I was tempted to say such a thing, but I knew better. Who is to say what part a praying church actually plays in world affairs. He says to go to this church in Scotland on a Saturday night for their prayer meeting was to know what was going on in the world. The prayers of God's people, he says, really are at the heart of what God is doing. When the true history of the world is finally written, we will discover that Christians like the ones in this church had a profound influence on world affairs. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that God answers the prayers of his people? Not always in the way we want. And I recognize there is mystery here. But do you believe he hears our prayers and he answers in accord with his will? I hope you do. So let us pray, including prayer for government. Let's take a local example. Governor Newsom, our governor in California. I realize there is a, a significant range of opinion about Governor Newsom's policies during this pandemic. I realize that. But how much have you prayed for him during this time? How much have you prayed for wisdom for him? How much have you prayed for direction and help for this man throughout this pandemic, regardless of how you feel about his policies? What if we spent more time praying for our governor during this pandemic than we did venting our displeasure about his policies? What might happen? 
Friends, what might God do? Pray for government. That's the call we see here. But for what purpose? For what hoped for effect? Well, we are to pray for government. Second, that the church may know peace. Pray for government. Secondly, that the church may know peace in our society. Here's where the passage gets, I think, surprising. Because you'd expect the purpose for our prayers for government to be so that God can kick out the bums, so that God can strike down unrighteous leaders, or so that the, the, the party of your political preference would control the White House, House, or Senate, or Mayor's Office, or City Council, or whatever. But that's not the purpose God gives here. In verse 2, you see the purpose. Verse 2 says that... So here comes purpose. Here's a purpose clause. See it? That, verse 2, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. A peaceful and quiet life. Calmness and serenity, Donald Guthrie puts it. Wouldn't that be nice in the face of this election? Calmness and serenity. So it's, it's not a peaceful, quiet life on my own private island or behind my my white picket fence, withdrawn from society, everyone leaving me alone. This is about praying for government to do what God has ordained government to do, restrain evil by punishing wrongdoing and promoting the good for the flourishing of society. It's praying that government would do what God has ordained government to do for our good. Commentator Robert Yarborough puts it like this, quote, Paul likely wants prayers at Ephesus to aim for social, political, and economic stability. Likely Paul wants prayers aimed at Ephesus for social, political, and economic stability conducive to everyone's well-being, that of Christians included. So this is about stability in society because that's beneficial for the church. An implication is God wants to use us for the good of society as we pray for government. When God exiled his people to Babylon, he called them to pray for Babylon, their conquerors, for this reason, Jeremiah 29 says, quote, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, on Babylon's behalf. Pray to the Lord for Babylon, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. As sojourners and exiles here, as Peter calls us, as sojourners and exiles ourselves, we can apply that passage. We pray for government because God has placed us in a bigger world and to varying degrees we do share in the welfare of that bigger world around us. Jesus called us salt, a preservative. And one way we act as a preserving agent in a decaying world is by praying, including praying for government. Now think about it. I don't think this is a controversial statement. 
a Biden administration that is good, that is wise, that is effective in governance will have a generally beneficial effect on the country. If it's good, if it's wise, if it's effective, that will in ways benefit the country and so benefit the church according to this passage. A, a peaceful and quiet life we are to desire. And then verse 2 continues specifying, notice, godly and dignified in every way. It is, in effect, praying for social stability so that we might pursue Christian maturity. Social stability for Christian maturity. Godly and dignified lives. I was reading through one of the other pastoral epistles this week, the book of Titus, and I was struck by these words. I think they are germane. Titus 3 verse 1 says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy, perfect courtesy toward all people. That's a godly and dignified life in action. <laughs> Submitted to rulers and authorities, ready for every single good work, speaking evil of no one, including those of a different political party, not quarreling with each other, but gentle, showing perfect courtesy toward all people, Democrat, Republican, whomever. Just to make application, may I, may I urge you on the authority of God's word. As you post on social media, refrain from quarreling like this passage says. Be gentle. Speak no evil of anyone. Show perfect courtesy toward all people. Wouldn't that transform Twitter and Facebook if we, if we showed perfect courtesy toward all people in what we post? So we pray for government that we in the church can pursue lives like that. Stability in society so that we can pursue maturity in the church. So let me give you a couple questions for personal evaluation. Just consider for your own application. When it comes to government, do you pray mainly that Christians would dominate the halls of power or that Christians would mature as disciples of Christ? Godly and dignified. Which do you pray for more? Do you pray mainly for your party to retain control, whichever party that is, or do you pray mainly for growth in your soul and government that affords that? Look, I realize important issues are at play in the political world. I'm not denying that. I realize it's natural to pray for your preferred political party. I'm not, I'm not denying that. I'm just asking, consider, 
Does your purpose in praying for government reflect God's purpose in this passage? It's prayer for government to do what God has ordained it to do, producing favorable conditions for our growth as disciples and our mission as disciples. So let's complete the main point. Thirdly, pray for government that the church may know peace. And thirdly, that the world may know Christ. Pray for government that the church may know peace and the world may know Christ. Pick it up in verse 3. This is good. Those kinds of lives, godly and dignified, are good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's an additional reason to pray for government that people would be saved. Because, we're told, God desires all people to be saved. Now, this does not mean all people everywhere will be saved. That's clear from this letter and the entirety of the Bible. It's not all being saved without exception. So what does this mean? Well, probably some of the background is a false teaching stressing some kind of elitism that only special people or certain groups of people can be saved. It's false teachers trying to create a monopoly on God's mercy. So notice the repetition of the word all in this passage. It's in verse 1, verse 2, verse 4, and verse 6. The apostle is driving at something probably related to that false teaching. Here he stresses that all can be saved without distinction. Not without exception, but without distinction. People from any background, race, or culture coming to Jesus. That's God's desire, and hopefully our desire. So pray. Pray for government that allows favorable conditions for that mission. The mission of declaring the good news of verses 5 and 6. Look at verse 5. 4. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The one God, the one God wants us to know him and worship him. So he sent his son, our mediator. You might think of a go-between, between two parties, a mediator. You see, God dwells in unapproachable light, 1 Timothy 6 tells us. God is infinitely holy. He is other. He is transcendent. He dwells in unapproachable light, but He sent His Son, God the Son, who took on our humanity to bear our sins, as the God-man, as our substitute, that we might approach the unapproachable one, that we might know and enjoy the one who dwells in unapproachable light. And the Savior did this by, verse 6 tells us, giving himself as a ransom. It's an imagery from the slave market, saying Jesus 
purchased a people out of their slavery. He paid the freedom price, that ransom, you might say, in bearing God's judgment against our sins. So many in this world are are taken captive by sin. We're, We're all born enslaved to sin. And so many continue kidnapped by sin. So many kidnapped by alcoholism and drug abuse. So many held captive by their own rage and anger. So many enslaved to lust and pornography. So many imprisoned by unbelief. But Christ gave himself himself as a ransom to free us and make us his own. And I just want to urge you, if you're watching and you've yet to surrender to Christ and be freed from slavery to sin like that, I just want to urge you right now to turn to him, to surrender to him, to cry out to the one mediator between us and God, the one who can bring you to God right now. Turn to him, trust in his life, death, and resurrection to bring you to God, and he will. He will. But, catch the connection then between prayer for government and that good news. This means we pray for government also that we in the church would have the full freedom to boldly declare that good news. Now, certainly, whatever the conditions in society, Jesus will build his church, right? Nothing's going to stop him. But we pray for favorable conditions that we could openly proclaim this good news, the, the stability in society that we might gladly, boldly declare this good news. We pray for the favorable conditions to be a a lighthouse and not a buoy you know a buoy in the ocean it just it just floats on the surface of the water it it rises and falls with the tide if if the buoy doesn't stay anchored down it's just going to float away we want we don't want to be like that as a church just going with the tide but a lighthouse A lighthouse is built on the solid rock like we sang about. It shines out to those who are in danger. We want to be a lighthouse shining out with this good rescuing news of Jesus Christ for all who will believe. So, so really in effect what we're doing is praying for government because our allegiance is higher than government. Track with me here. Really what we're doing is we're praying for government because our allegiance is far higher than who is or is not in office. You pray for government because your allegiance, the the jersey you wear on your soul, is far higher and more important to you than party affiliation. However you voted in this election, please hear this. Kingdom allegiance must always dwarf party affiliation in our souls. That's the jersey you must wear and live in light of as a Christian. It's a kingdom jersey. We live for Christ's spiritual kingdom. And we don't build a spiritual kingdom 
with the political power of this world. You and I don't build that kingdom at all. In fact, Christ builds his kingdom. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. We pray, grant us government that does not hinder the free, bold proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. That's what we're being told here. Pray for government, that the church may know peace, and the world, and the world may know Christ. Now, as we close, just thinking very practically, where do we do this? Well, the focus of the apostle here is on the church gathered, it would seem, in context. So we do pray like this regularly in our Sunday services, and we'll continue to do so. But you can, of course, pray this way in your home groups or do so on your own. But I also want to recommend our corporate prayer meetings, Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. Uh, I can honestly tell you that our Sunday morning prayer meeting before the service is one of the highlights of my week. It prepares me for our gathered worship together, and it reminds me to pray this petition, because to be honest with you, I don't really remember very often to pray for my government on my own. But when I'm gathered with other believers on Sunday mornings, we pray with regularity for our government together. That helps me obey this command. I want to, I want to invite you, I want to encourage you. Come out to the Sunday morning prayer meeting at 9 o'clock or join in on the Wednesday evening ones. Let's pray together for government that the church may know peace and the world may know Christ. Now, we were going to apply this in our service by praying together in family groups or small groups, and we're not going to do that. Instead, Joshua's going to come and lead us in praying together. Hope you can hear me better now than you could earlier this morning. Well, church, please join me here in praying for, for President-elect Joe Biden, for Vice President-elect uh, Kamala Harris, and for our government. Let's pray. Oh, Father in, in heaven, this morning we, we pray for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and we do so with the same belief and conviction we had four years ago, that just as President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence were appointed by you, so now we believe that in your sovereignty, for your good purposes in the world and in the church, you have appointed Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to these positions of authority. We pray specifically for Joe Biden that you would bless him and give him the wisdom to know what's just and right and the courage to do what is just and right. May he and his administration fulfill your calling to human governments to punish those who do evil and to, pray those who do, and to praise those who do good according to your word. We pray that the Biden administration would uphold policies and enable us in the church to lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way, that this, knowing that this is pleasing in your sight. We pray that through that, through that, that the world would come to know Christ 
And as we heard here in First Timothy this morning as well, Lord, we pray that you would give us the desire to lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way, and that we would do that through the means of praying for our government. Lord, help us to continue to hope in you and in your kingdom that has no end. Help us to hope in you, the one who is building your church, against which the gates of hell and no human government will be able to stop, will be able to get in their way. So, Father, give us this hope. Give us this peace. And I just pray specifically for all of our hearts this morning that we would, Lord, that we would stand on this solid rock, this foundation, knowing, Lord, what you desire to do in and through the church. And I pray just that through your spirit that you would give us the conviction to pray for our government that we would know peace, and Lord, that through that, that the world would come to know Christ. Holy Spirit, help us in those ways. Amen.